Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Danae, um, and would you please stand for the scripture reading? We will be reading out of Colossians 1, 15 through 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." you remain standing as we pray. Lord, give us knowledge of who you are. This passage is about you, Jesus, who you are. Lord, give us that knowledge that we might open our hearts and our minds to understand you more. We pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people shouted in unison. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I took a sabbatical, a six-week sabbatical, as some of you know. I was off, I wasn't around for six weeks. And now people are asking, like, what, what happened during the sabbatical? Was it fun? Yeah, we had our share of fun. Eric and I got to travel and leave the kids for a little while. Erica's grand, uh, my, the kids' grandparents, Erica's parents are here. They watched the kids, and we got out. And there was some good times of, like, spiritual time with the Lord. I think I told you a couple weeks ago I got time in a cabin just to spend by myself three days, which some of you were like, that would have drove me crazy. What'd you do? It's like, I just kind of sat around and I prayed. That was the point. And people are asking like, what now? What did the Lord show you during that time? Did you learn anything? Did did the Lord show you anything? And yes, I've been saying this theme that, that has come back again and again over the course of the sabbatical. And it happened in different waves as, as I was experiencing rest. And it is a, a quote by this guy who I really enjoy reading, an early church father, Maximus the Confessor. He said this, that we should value the knowledge of God above all created things. And that's one of the themes that, that just keeps hitting me again and again, that we should value the knowledge of God above all created things. Because the creator, he is everything. He's God. And we should value that knowledge above anything else. Amen? Amen. So that's the word this morning. The first point is get to know Jesus, right? That's what we should be doing in church. That should be the heart of every message ever in church. Get to know Jesus. If you open up to the book of Colossians, which I encourage you to do so, how many of you bring a a, a real paper Bible to church. Oh, look at around, look at all the hands. Because, I mean, it's so easy to get the phone thing, but as soon as you get on your phone, you see you have text, and then you get distracted, and then it, it just goes downhill from there. But those of you that bring a paper Bible, 
God bless you. So if you have a paper Bible, it's, it's a hard book to find. You turn into the New Testament and somewhere along the lines, I think when I was in uh, a youth group, uh, the, the, the youth group pastor said, if you want to know the, 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 how the books are ordered, it's go eat popcorn. Have you heard this? Go Galatians, eat uh, Ephesians, P is Philippians, and then C is Colossians. And there we are. So you're looking at me like I'm crazy, but I need this stuff to help me find the books of the Bible. I'm not as good as you. So if you find it and look at it, Paul and Timothy, it says, if that's a little uh, trivial pursuit, who wrote Colossians? Paul and and Timothy write to the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And I don't think that there's clues in this letter. It only takes 12 minutes to read this letter, and there's little clues along the way about where Paul is at, which is probably jail, and, and who he's writing to and kind of what's going on there. And I encourage you this week to read it. It's 12 minutes long. You have an entire week. Next week, I'll say, who read Colossians? Raise your hand. And some of you will raise your hand, and I will have a little reward for for those of you that take uh, 12 minutes, it might take uh, some of you a little bit more. I'm a slow reader myself. But those of you that read this book from chapter one to the end, uh, I will give a little tiny reward, just something to say, thanks for doing that. And the real reward, of course, is reading it, getting into God's word. So if you look at this letter, Paul gets right back to the basics. He says to this church, there's clues in here that he's never been to this city, and yet he writes to a somewhat struggling church. We see clues in this letter, we'll get to that later on, about this church reminding them to go back to the basics. And the back to the basics thing here is Jesus. A couple months ago, I was in a coffee shop and a guy came into the coffee shop. I think if I said his name, a lot of you would know him. He's a, he's a manitoid. He's, he's got his fingers in different councils and things. Kind of, a, at least in Manitou, he's kind of a well-known guy. And I introduced myself again to him, assuming that I, I know him, but he might not know me. And he said, oh, I know you, you're Joe. You passed to that church in Manitou. How's that going? We kind of chit-chatted and made some small talk. Then he said, oh, can I ask you a question? Okay, so there's lots of religions. And he's being very respectful and, and very just asking a, a real question. There's lots of religion. Uh, what makes Christianity, you know, so different than the other religions? And he kind of said, what's the deal with all the denominations? You know, there's Catholics and there's, there's Protestants and there's Lutherans and Baptists and Presbyterians. What's the deal? Like, what is the main, his question was, what's the, the main deal with Christianity? And I heard my own voice in my head saying, uh, this is important. Don't say anything stupid right now. Like, this guy is really... He's really asking. He's for real asking. And, and, and then came like the conviction of like 1 Peter uh, 3.15. Do you know this verse? Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us to any person that asketh uh, in the King James. And so I was like, okay, this is actually a, a moment here. This guy is actually, acts, actually asking like, what is Christianity? And I get to have this opportunity. I said, well, well, you know, all the different denominations, you know, I have, I grew up Catholic and I have the most respect for Catholics. And for a while I went to a Baptist church. I was a youth leader at the Presbyterian church. And I can tell you that, that under the umbrella of Christianity is something something that unites us all and it makes Christianity different than every other religion on the face of this earth. And I said, it is that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just showing the way. We believe as Christians under this umbrella of Christianity, we believe that Jesus is God himself. 
And he kind of looked at me like, like he, he didn't grow up in church. It was news to him. Like he didn't know. Like, wait, you all re- really believe that Jesus is God himself? And I said, yeah, like the sun, the moon, the Grand Canyons, the sunrises, love, like creation, humanity. We believe that that God is Jesus and he's fully God. And he was just like, whoa, I guess, I, I mean, I kind of knew that, but I, I've never really thought about that. Y'all believe that Jesus really is God. And I said, yeah, like that's, that's the main thing. That's the most underlying foundational back to the basics thing that I can think of this morning. And it is all about Jesus. This is how Paul opens this letter to the Colossians. He greets, uh, Brett did a great job preaching uh, verses one through 14 last week. And then he gets right into the meat. Like here it is back to the basics. Jesus is the answer. It's kind of like that joke in Sunday school. You know, what's the answer to this? What's the answer to that? It's always, Jesus. In fact, uh, Jay, our seven-year-old, he was up here running around. Uh, he's, he's in elementary school. And a couple months ago, there was this girl. She's still coming. And her parents are in here still. Uh, so she came. And, and Jay, after, after we were eating lunch, she said, there was a new girl in Sunday school. And he's like, yeah. But dad, she, she didn't know anything. Because the teacher said, who's your favorite uh, character in the Bible? And she said, Daniel. And it's not Daniel. It should be Jesus. Jesus, right, Dad? And I thought, are we raising a little Pharisee? Like, what? And I said, uh, I said, well, you got to be nice to her. You know, she's new to Sunday school. And he was like really concerned. But, but I am right. Right, Dad? Like, gee, we, Jesus should be the main thing. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Just be nice to this girl. But Jesus is the main thing. Like he's got it as a seven-year-old in this weird little head he has. He's very literal and, and apparently very, very pharisaical. But <laughs> he's thinking it like Jesus is the main thing. We are here because we know Jesus and want to make him known and grow in his knowledge. So this morning we're going to talk about Jesus. Amen. So I have a couple uh, points, and this brings me back to before becoming a pastor of New Life Manitou, I was a pastor of The Mill, which is the college group. Any mill? I see, I see a couple, couple, couple people around. They used to go to the college ministry of New Life Church, and I, for, uh, let's see, 10, 11, 12 years, taught a Sunday school for this college ministry, and it would, it would, it would, I would just nerd out. I would, I would bring up big words that I learned in seminary, and they loved it. People would come early for college kids, 8th. 39 a.m. That is early. And so whenever we would like really get into this nerdy stuff, I would always say, all right, this brings us to the nerd alert. And uh, I would encourage them to make their best sirens, alarm, alert noises. So nerd alert. (laughs) Yeah, that's better than I thought it was going to be. Pretty good. Pretty good. So the first nerd alert this morning Okay, there's only four of these. That was one. So if you're rolling your eyes three more times. The first one is this. that It's called the hypostatic union. And what that is, is this uh, concept that is foundational to who we believe Jesus is. That he is fully God and fully man 
at the same time. It's not 50-50. A lot of people in in their thinking of who Jesus is, um, especially in the early church, they had to work this out. And some people came up with this heresy um, that just said, oh, Jesus was God, fully God. And then he just came into earth and like put on uh, a suit, like a human suit, a Halloween suit, dressed up as a human and came into this earth fully God. And he just wore this suit. And we would say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not we, what we believe. We believe in the hypostatic union. We believe that he is fully God and fully human at the same time. And so I remember sitting in, in seminary. I, I was uh, graduated from Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And it was during that time uh, I led a, a youth group. It was an internship and I got paid. So it was like a win-win as, as a young seminary student. There was like 15, uh, uh, 15 like high school students. We'd go bowling sometimes and we would learn about the Bible. We, for winter retreat, we went to this camp, a Young Life camp. It was beautiful. It was all these other churches came together. They had a speaker. The speaker was speaking and he's doing a great job. And he ends up doing a great job. But in the middle of a sermon, th- I, th- I was misunderstanding where this sermon was going. And so he literally like had this white suit and he put on this white suit and was talking about who Jesus is. And I was like, uh-oh, like this is heresy. I'm just thinking to myself like, this is, this is going down right now. Like he's, he's preaching heresy. He puts on the suit. He has this red paint up there and he puts his hands in this red paint. He wipes it on the suit and, and the idea presenting to these high school kids is Jesus takes on our sin, our stain. He take, although he's perfect, he takes on our sin. And I'm like, whoa, is, is, he, is he just saying that the suit's taking on the sin? Like he's fully God and he's fully human. And my mind's racing, my heart's beating. Like, should I stand up and say, wait, this is heresy. And then he turns the corner of his sermon and he takes off the suit and somehow the paint had like gone through his clothes. It was like some like weird magic trick kind of thing. And he presented himself, you know, in this analogy as, as one like, uh, like God in this analogy uh, wasn't just taking the suit, didn't just take on the sin. It was God himself that although he was perfect, took on our sin. And I was like, oh, thank God I didn't stand up and make an idiot out of myself during the sermon. He had it right that Jesus is is fully God and fully man at the same time. And so here it is. Um, uh, Look at verse 15 if you have your Bibles open. And I'll concentrate on this just little sentence here for a minute. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And, and a lot of people think, the scholars that looking at the Greek here, that, that between verses 15 and 19 was a hymn. This was meant to be sung in the church. People would sing this. They have no idea how it sounded. Uh, it could have been sort of a chant. That's part of the early church tradition. They would just chant everything. They wouldn't say anything. They would sing it in church. Uh, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And they would read scripture like that. And it's beautiful to listen to. I would carry on, but then I would embarrass myself for the, anyways. <laughs> the image of the invisible God. Think about that for a minute. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Here uh, brings us to our second nerd alert. (laughs) The Greek word here for image is, anyone know? 
Icon, yeah, I heard it. Someone, a couple of people said it. Icon is the word. And so Jesus is the icon for God. And it's much more than just like, oh, Jesus is like a painting for who God really is. No, Jesus is this embodiment of who God is. He is what we can see of this invisible God. People would touch him and they would be healed. People would talk to Jesus for just a couple minutes and their entire lives would be changed. Jesus would point at somebody and say, follow me, and their life would never be the same again. He was fully God in uh, this human form, fully human form. He is the image of the invisible. God. And it brings me to this other point here that says, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn. And, and someone could say, uh, wrongly looking at this and say, oh, he was the firstborn in creation. Like he, he was, uh, like, like God was there and then he's the firstborn, like God made him. And he's, he's like, no, no, no. He's the firstborn over the creation. And this goes back to like the Old Testament understanding of who the firstborn is. I happen to be the firstborn son. My brother's over there. He's the secondborn. And, and in the ancient world, this sounds very unfair. Even as the firstborn, I'm like, this, was, this is not fair. But in the ancient world, there would be a dad would have sons and daughters. And the daughters got nothing. Sorry, daughters. And any of the secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn sons got nothing. And the only one to get anything is to take on the family inheritance, the blessing, and uh, the, 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 the birthright was the firstborn. That's why I was reading the story uh, to my sons of Jacob and Esau and and Jacob's born second, so everything belongs to Esau, but then Jacob, you read the story, it's weird. He like tricks his dad with like goat skin or something. It's like, well, this is really weird, but it ha- you have to understand that in this ancient world, the firstborn got everything. And that's here what this is referring to, that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is the one who has it all. He's the firstborn, which brings us to this next nerd alert the third of four, don't worry, uh, which is Arianism. And Arianism comes from a, a guy named Arius who lived in the 300s that I, I'm sure I'm losing some of you right now, but li- this is important stuff. This is valuing the knowledge of God. So stay with me. Are you with me? Okay, so Arian uh, brought this heresy to the church that said Jesus was fully human, but he was sent by God. He was like the firstborn in creation, which is not what this verse says. So I, I, I need someone to do a line. David Jr., would you come up? Just, just hold out your arm. I just need a line. Right uh, yeah, just right here. We just need a, so this is uh, a line. And above the line, Arian would say, so this is heresy, would say that God is above this line and everything he made is under this line and Jesus would be right here under this line. You know, in, in our world, when we look at the line of creation, we say, oh, humanity's at the top and we have things like uh, spiders, way down here and then under spiders are mosquitoes am i right and then under under mosquitoes would be like cats <laughs> and then just kidding just kidding just kidding but you get the point arian said that the gods up here and jesus is this firstborn he's right up he's like touching david martin jr's arm but he is the firstborn and, and the church looked at this heresy and looked at what Arian was saying and said, no, 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 no. Read the rest of this verse, which we will. Jesus is one in being with God. He is up here. He is fully God, and he came to us fully human. But don't forget ever that he is fully God. He is part of the creator. He is the creator. Thank you, David. Well done. Thank you. The line. 
So going back to this, people, and you could read about it in the Nicene Creed of what we said about Jesus. He's God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made of one being, one essence with the Father. That's who Jesus is. And and we took Arianism and, and we threw it away and said, this is complete heresy. Jesus is fully God because... Listen to this. It's now talking to, about Jesus. Underline it. Circle it if you have a Bible that, and you're the kind of person that underlines things. Verse 16 is talking about Jesus and says this, for in him all things were created. Like, duh, right? Like Jesus it is the creator. Duh. Things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And from him, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus is the answer. Amen? Amen. So you see it there. It's clear. If you need to reread it and rethink about it, do so because it's right there. Jesus is God. He is the creator. That is what this sermon is all about. That is what Paul begins talking to the Colossians says. This is going back to the basics. This is so important. Jesus is God. Jesus is the answer to every question. It's kind of like, um, for those of you that are into church history uh, and, and, and like to get a little nerdy, this is our fourth and final nerd alert. <laughs> that got really good. Okay, good job. So there's this guy in the, in the 1200s named Thomas Aquinas. Anybody ever heard of this guy? Uh, a theologian, a beast, wrote, wrote this book. Uh, like basically an encyclopedia of theological thought and begins it with the five cosmological proofs for the existence of God. So I said, you know, so this is getting a little nerdy, so just hang with me. But he, he proves the existence of God. And it's pretty fascinating stuff. These, these five cosmological proofs, they're still around today. People still refer to them. And if you're in debates about Christianity and atheism, surely these things come up because they've, hold, they've held the test of time. It is beautiful. So you, you want to know what they are? proving the existence of God. Well, it has to do with motion and causality and kind of just like asking the question, why, why, why? And you get back eventually to an uncreated creator, an unmovable mover, you get to Jesus. So if I take something like a pin and I throw this pin, Kurt, you ready? All right, don't let it hit you in the eye. We have horrible insurance. Hey, you were supposed to catch that. (laughs) It it went All right, so I threw the, the pin. It, he just took it. Next time we do this, I'm throwing it to somebody else. So you could ask, okay, like what caused that pin to throw? Like, like literally, like the motion, what caused it? And he was like, well, I threw it. And he was like, well, what caused that? Well, my tricep muscle, if you get it, it contracted and the pin threw, right? And you say, well, what, what caused that? Where'd the energy come for your tricep muscle to do that? And I would say, well, on uh, Wednesday was my birthday and I had a lot of Rudy's barbecue and then we had a lot of leftovers. So I've been eating Rudy's all week. And so that's the strength of where my muscle came from, from this Rudy's barbecue. And you're like, okay, like that, this is getting weird, first of all, but okay, I get it. I'm flowing, following the flow of causality and motion and energy. So like Rudy's, like that's how the pen was thrown. Well, I was eating brisket, which is a cow. So I got my energy from a cow. And it's like, well, what, what, where did the cow get its energy and the meat? And uh, I guess they eat 
what are the grass and corn and stuff? So grass and corn and stuff, like that's the answer to like well, how the pin got thrown. It's like, well, no, photosynthesis and, and we get into biology and chlorophyll and more like borophyll and you you follow this back and you're like, well, I guess, you know, the photosynthesis is the sun and the sun's energy allowed me to throw the pin to Kurt who didn't catch it. And you're like, okay, the sun, like that's, that we keep following this back. And then you're like, well, where did the sun get its energy? Well, then you get beyond my pay grade of science and you're like nuclear fusion. And then you start reading uh, like the, the late uh, Stephen Hawking who just passed away in March. You read his book, which I had to in college because I graduated with a science degree, which is a great degree to have to become a pastor. But anyways, um, Stephen Hawking goes into like trying to explain and extrapolate, okay, where could the sun have come from? And he has these theories of like energies and all the stuff. And he follows things back in time. It's called A Brief History of Time. It's actually uh, a pretty fascinating read by this author. And he gets into the end of this book, like where could have this, the sun could have came from this, which could have came from this, which could have came from this. And he gets to the end of this book and he says, as we begin to keep finding out more about the how, we will begin to ask about the why. And Stephen Hawking is not a believer, not a Christian. He ends up saying something about the mind of God. Like he brings, like he doesn't, I don't know if he didn't know where to go from there, but he ends up talking about God and knowing the mind of God in this science book that I had to read in school, which is pretty fascinating stuff. So how did the pin get thrown to Kurt who didn't catch it? God. And who is God? Jesus. Like this, like, wow, like this stuff, I I told you it was going to get nerdy today. And here we are getting nerdy. The creator is Jesus. We can know God by knowing Jesus. And he is the one who reconciles us to him. So here we are. Uh, I'll say one more thing to get to our final point, And that is this, that if we were a creator, if we made something, say we make some things and those things kind of get life of their own, follow me. And, and they started turning against each other and they turned against us. What would you do if you made something that turned against its other things and turned against you? You would destroy it. Of course you would. Like, haven't you seen iRobot where Will Smith, the the robots turn against humanity. Will Smith kicks their robot butts. And then haven't you seen uh, Space Odyssey 2001 where Hal is is this, uh, what is he? I don't even know. He's like artificial intelligence that runs the spacecraft. And, And they're like, Hal, open the pod bay doors. Hal opened the pod bay door. And he's like, I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. And then this whole scene of like, he ends up, Hal, this created thing, this AI ends up killing Frank. Have you seen, has anybody seen this movie? Okay, a couple of, it's a really boring movie, but it's got some scenes that are kind of interesting philosophically to think about. And then Dave goes down and turns off Hal. Like that's what we would do if we made something that turned against us. And yet this. God reconciles us by Christ. So here's point number three. God is not a creator who creates, and even though we, his creation, have turned against him, God does not destroy. Instead, point three, this last point this morning, you have been reconciled by Christ. Listen to these words, verse 18. Read along if you have it in your lap. And he is, we're talking about Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Listen to this. This is the state that we are in. Once you were alienated from God and were his enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you Listen to this good news. Present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Is that good news? Amen. As the church uh, and as a leader in the church, sometimes I, I like, you know, look at the world and people ask us questions and you know, I, I get the, I was just so, I'm so sorry that, you know, our philosophy is different than your philosophy. I'm so sorry that the church sometimes seems judgmental. I'm so, you know, we could walk around and say, oh, the church is this and the church is that. We're so sorry. But instead, like you read this kind of passage and I'm just like, wow, like we have good news. We're not sorry about nothing. We have this hope in life that, that God has reconciled us to him and he is going to do this for all of creation. Look and see what it says. It says all things through him to reconcile to himself all things with the things on earth, the things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. All things get reconciled. Us, all things are made right. I remember a few years ago, I was at the end of a church service at New Life North. Uh, a lady came to Guest Central to meet a pastor. Um, she met B, her and her husband were there, and this lady was just crying, and she was, things are full circle now, she was asking about her cat, and if her cat that just died went to heaven. And her husband was there, and her husband was like, doubt it, cats don't go to heaven. <laughs> and and uh, just like, dude, would you be quiet for just a minute and let me talk to this lady? Um, but she was legitimately asking, like, about, like, she, the way of the world, like, she was torn up about her cat that had just died. She had come to church. She doesn't usually go to church, but she had come to church just to find a pastor and ask, you know, what is going to happen uh, with this cat? And I referred her to this passage. I said that God is going to reconcile to himself all things. And by all things, it means all things. And so I, I comforted her with these words. And I said, you know, you know I, 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 this whole, you know, this whole thing and all dogs go to heaven. I don't know about the cat. I didn't bring any of that up. I just said, <laughs> all things, all things will be reconciled. Christ on the cross covers all things. Let me read it one more time. Through him, he reconciles to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He takes the sin that is ours, and though he was without sin, took it upon himself, Jesus, fully human, so that we might understand who he is, fully God, taking on our sin and nailing it to the cross. Jesus is Lord. This morning, I want you to ask yourself, The question, who is Jesus to you? Individually, we all ask that question. Who is Jesus? Do you believe he is God? Do you believe he was just a good teacher? We believe, we proclaim in this place that he is fully God. He is the Lord, capital L. And that's what we proclaim here. And so if you would, please, would you stand up with me? The the band can come forward. Communion servers, you can also come forward to lead us to the table. And what I want us to do is, with standing up, bow your head. I'm just going to reread this passage about who Jesus is. 
And would you concentrate on these words? Would you consider them? It says this, that the Son is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and from him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In, and he is the head of the body. This is us. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, and he is the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.